Do you have someone in your life who loves books? Somebody who not only loves books, but always wants to share what she's reading with you, <laughs> thinking that you're just going to love her latest selection. And inevitably, you just can't stand that book that she recommended. That's us. Oh, yeah. We both read a lot. Well, I don't even read. I listen. But we very rarely agree on what constitutes a good read. I enjoy books that build up new worlds, inviting magic and mystery, and sometimes extinct animals into our lives. Ugh. Science fiction. No. No. <laughs> don't start yet. It's so good. Science fiction and fantasy do rule, and so do dinosaurs. Okay, you can continue now. I listen to a variety, but it's, this is the important part, all grounded in reality. That's where dinosaur bones come from? Ground? You can, the ground? <laughs> you can keep your elves in space operas. <laughs> oh, welcome to our you podcast. You snorted. I did. I was really amused with myself. <laughs> welcome to our podcast. You're making me read what? Your hosts on this monthly podcast are myself, Jessica, and my colleague, Christine. We're librarians who get a thrill out of a great book, but usually can't stand what the other person is reading. Not we this time, though. Everybody loved this book. Mm. Mm -hmm. We've each selected some of our all-time favorite books, and each month we'll alternate between the lists with the goal of persuading the other to enjoy a read she would never have picked up on her own. Even a book that isn't entirely your style may have some redeeming qualities to it. Right? Right. I guess we'll see. Should we do the spoiler alert? For a 25-plus-year-old book, yes. Just, Man just in case. Well, this one came out in 1990, so it's, you know... Okay. Yeah, my math isn't good. 30 and some sure. wiggle room. Okay, spoiler alert! Uh, now's the time for us to warn you that we're going to discuss the whole book, including the ending and any magical or dino... Soropian twists. If you haven't read Jurassic Park yet, if you haven't picked up yet on what this book was, because we haven't shared the title, uh, <laughs> and don't want us to spoil anything for you, please stop listening now and join us again after you've read it. I'm not even going to say the part about not deciding to read it. That's crazy talk. Of course you're going to read it. It's fabulous. That is crazy talk. So we're a little punchy today. It's Jurassic Park. It's so good. It's so good. I, I mean, this the whole podcast could be just be me going, like, fangirl, like, wee! I got to read Jurassic well, Park wait, again. How does this... Um, measure up to Neil Gaiman, like how much? Ooh, ooh, um, that would be that would be a battle of the fisticuffs. I would okay. have to really think about it. On the giddy scale, they're kind of equal. Yes. So Michael Crichton has unfortunately passed away. I know. Neil Gaiman is alive. Yes. There is still an opportunity that in some way I could meet Neil Gaiman. Oh, okay. So got it. You know, I would have to play my odds. Now, you could also ask a scientist mm -hmm. to bring. <clears throat> Michael Crichton back by reconstituting his DNA from his bones. I could. Okay. I'm really excited about that opportunity. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to give a little background on the book we're reading. Please in don't. case, like other people, you were like Christine, who lived under a rock for 30 years. Mm -hmm. And prior, so to, bright out here. prior to this podcast, had never read Jurassic Park mm -hmm. or, here's the kicker, watched any of the movies. Correct. I, I, I still can't fathom it. It's... Mm -hmm. Jurassic Park, the movie, is like an American cultural touchstone. She's angry with me. I, a little bit, yes. And I'm really glad that I made you do this. I and have I, not yet watched the movie. Steve, my husband, said, night. Steve said, don't read the book. Just watch the movie. And I was like, no, I have to do both. And yeah, and they're, thinking, just, what? they're just different enough. Yeah, they're so. just different enough. So for, for noobs out there, uh -huh. for like infants, really, sure. um, who have never read or watched them, Jurassic Park is like a biotech science thriller. And the basis is there's this really rich dude mm -hmm. um, who generates enough uh, investment dollars to buy an island and create what he calls a biological preserve. And he is, as Christine alluded to earlier, reconstituting DNA from dinosaurs, mm -hmm. not from actually Michael Crichton, and um, has created this theme park with living dinosaurs in it. <laughs> That's a great – what could go wrong? Nothing. 
it could all go right. <laughs> Unless you're a mathematician who allegorized that none of this was going to go right and it would all fall apart. Yep. So the, the main push of the book is a group of um, subject matter experts are invited to the island before it opens to ensure for investors that this is a good – this is good to open, that everything is going to go right. And, of course, nothing goes right. <laughs> um, so there's intrigue and espionage. There's uh, dinosaur attacks and power failures. There's whiny child. There is a very whiny child. She's not as whiny in the movie. Um, and it's oh, it's just it's so it's so good. And it sets this it sets the stage for what's coming next because there's a second book that comes out. Mm-hmm. And at this point, there are five movies with a sixth coming out in 2022. Oh my god! I yeah. had no idea. I, wow, I've got stuff lined up. It's not quite Marvel level, which okay. I know you have zero interest in, uh-huh. but for everyone else who's listening and has normal people, normal people mm-hmm. um, you know, Marvel's got 20 plus movies oh and more than a dozen TV shows and <laughs> thousands of comic books and that, that would take you a long time to catch up on. Yeah. Jurassic Park is a set of three movies and then there's Jurassic World, which is two that are out now and one that's coming out next year. And the books, there's really only the two. There's this first one, Jurassic Park, and then which came out in 1990. Mm-hmm. And then Lost World, which came out in 95. I feel very smart for having known both of those things. Oh. Well, also, I'm a librarian. So You looked it up. No, no, I just knew them because I am a librarian. And Good I job. had a 1,009 people <laughs> ask me for the books. And I was like, oh, I could show you where they are, but I haven't read them yet. So have you read any Michael Crichton books? No. Interestingly, I had not. And I did None. a fair, uh, not a fair amount of research, yeah. a little tiny bit of research. Yeah. And he is a fascinating man, was yes. a fascinating man, uh, went to Harvard Medical School uh-huh. decided that he was not going to do that, <laughs> never practiced medicine, but was the producer and screenwriter for the TV show ER. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yes. And then he um, adapted um, Robin Cook's novel Coma yep. into a movie, mm-hmm. and he has he wrote a ton of things, and I wrote them down, but Andromeda Strain he mm-hmm. wrote when he was still in medical school, and it helped pay his pay his medical school bills. That book scared the bejesus out of me when I was a teen. Yes. Scared the, oh, pants off. Yes. <laughs> Have you, so you haven't read that one? Nope. Okay, we're not going to talk about that one because okay. that's not this particular one. Uh, Terminal Man, yep. The Great Train Robbery, Congo, The oh, Rising Sun, oh, no. Disclosure, Airframe, Timeline, and Prey, among others. But yeah. those are just kind of the highlights. And so extremely prolific. And um, he wrote under a pseudonym um, when he was in med school to pay his bills and yeah. he could just whip out a book in a weekend yes and he got like 4500 bucks for it and yeah. so he was like oh this will work have you ever watched any of the movies that he uh, had transit so did you watch did you watch terminal man have you watched Mm-mm. disclosure no you don't watch congo i'm sure did you did you watch sphere no oh christine i know there's a lot there's a lot that could open to me pretend like i'm your parent right now okay i'm not mad <laughs> Are you disappointed? Just really disappointed. Oh, Just really disappointed. That's the worst. So, a close second favorite of mine is Congo. Okay. And Congo, so many of his books have this kind of intersection of man and animal and technology theme to them. Mm-hmm. So, in Jurassic Park, it's man's hubris and mm-hmm. thinking that obviously we are the epicenter of everything that has ever happened on this planet. And of course, we can reconstitute DNA from something that died off 65 million years ago and everything will be great. It'll right. Be fine. Right. We have the technology. We can totally do it. Right. And in Congo, it's not quite the same, but it's about um, these uh, primates and these these apes, these great apes, that they are modifying to uh, not great results. Mm. And yeah, it's just it's fascinating. So, so here's my gig. This is gonna be me in a nutshell, as Austin Powers would say. Um, <laughs> wow, you've really got me on the movie thread here. Um, 
I really, really, really liked. So he's a great storyteller. He's obviously a, was obviously a truly brilliant man who knew a lot about a lot of different subjects. Um, one of the reviews I call, I read about him called him a true Renaissance man, which yeah, seems agreed. accurate. Um, from the little bit that I've seen. He was also one of people's most beautiful 50 people in the world okay. in 1992. Well, that's awesome. Good for him. <laughs> um, so I, I enjoyed listening to the book a lot. It was captivating, spellbinding, all those good things. He can definitely tell a great story. And I'm absolutely fascinated by the medical ethics and the morality issues oh, yeah. that he pokes at. I could not be less interested in dinosaurs. I mean, think of... Think of the thing that interests you the least in life yeah. and make it into a movie. I just But it did. This has math in it. This was this was a partial math movie, and I yeah. still loved it. And a book, partial math books, excuse me. Yeah. There's actually more math in the book than there is in the movie. So and like the math was fine and I was interested in the um, chaos theory because yeah. I don't know anything about yeah. it. So I I think he did a really, really great job of bringing something very scientific and very uh, erudite, is that mm-hmm. the right word, um, into a story for all folks. So okay. yay for him. Like yeah. that is a hard task yes, yes, to do, much. to get somebody to, you know, buy into reading about chaos theory if mm-hmm. they are not. Um, what's string theory? That's yes. another one. Like people start talking about string theory and I'm like, Wah, 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 wah. Like, yeah, and the, same words. the examples he so in the book he gives an example later on. He's he's talking from um, the the mathematician in the story is mm-hmm. talking from realistically from his deathbed mm-hmm. um, to John Hammond, who's the person who developed the space and financed it. And he's talking about how if you put a drop of water on your hand, there are so many little imperfections. Even though you put it in the same place every time, it's going to do something different. Yeah. and you can't control it and you can't track it. Even if you wanted to, there are like you can see the structure of how things might go, but you don't know, right? right? right. It's like the weather. Right. And in the movie, because I, I finished the book this morning, mm-hmm. and I tried to watch the movie last night, but <laughs> I have an infinite home, so we got about a third of the way through it, and I'm sure it'll take a couple more days. And in the movie, of course, he's talking up a pretty lady, and Ooh. so he's you know putting the dry, and he's like, oh, let me put the little drop here, and oh no, I'll touch your arm, yeah, all those kinds of things. <laughs> but um, yes, he is such a Renaissance man, like you were saying. He has so much knowledge. He had so much knowledge of so many areas. He can take these incredibly complex topics and make them relatable to the masses. Yeah. In both books, and he wrote the screenplay for this. Right. And I'm sure there were other people that helped, but he was friends with Steven Spielberg. Yeah. And uh, he worked with him on many things. So even before the book was done, they had optioned this for a movie. And he wrote somewhere, like he was only able to use 10 or 20% of the material from the book for the screenplay. So yeah. you really should do both because it's going to give you a slightly different experience. Sure. But you don't like dinosaurs? No, I just find them, um, I, I, they're not applicable anymore like I just I don't like I can't I know I know okay back away back away fighting back away stop swinging at me I have my velociraptor pose my my arms are out if I if I had the little claw thing it would be poking ow ow, stop did you like dinosaurs as a kid every kid goes through a phase no never ever any interest in dinosaurs and just so that you can hate me as much as you can possibly hate hate you I think it's too late for that um no hate space don't like anything about robots. So if you want to do the trifecta for me, it's alien, robot, dinosaurs. I will find that book. Thank you. Yep. Yes. So on the opposite side of that spectrum, I took uh, a, a mini vacation 
two or three years ago, and I flew into Salt Lake City, <laughs> drove six hours <laughs> east to go to Dinosaur National Monument. Of course you did. Which is fantastic. If if anyone listening has, has had any interest in it, totally worth the drive. Um, it's so remote, and it's far out there, and they found a landslide area. So it's like the side of a, a hill where it was this jumble of different dinosaurs and bones that were kind of merged and meshed together, and they just built a building around it. Oh, wow. So you can go, and it's got multiple floors, and then they've got, um, like, trails you can go around. It was uh, awe-striking. I just <laughs> so, And I was not a huge dinosaur lover as a kid, but, like, I had that point in time where you had to do a um, – Diorama? A diorama. Yeah. And I was a paleontologist, so I had sand in there, and it was a little me with a pickaxe. and Love it. I can't, I don't know how you got away from that. It, I know. That's. I know. Something broke deep did, inside me. Did you, as a child, did you have a phase where you went through, like, mythology? Oh, God, no. Oh, I ran away from mythology. Because I couldn't remember. It's the same thing as um, yeah. science fiction. I can't remember the weirdo names and the weirdo <gasps> powers. I just. Oh, it, Christine. It just, I just. My brain does not do that. My face is flushed. I know. You're angry. I, I'm not angry. I'm just. I, I think you broke me. I think that's what's <laughs> happened here. Because dinosaurs, I get that they're not as relatable, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like they're running around right now. Right. And you can see one and you can touch it and you can think about it and it's applicable in any way to the general life that we have. Right. But they're just so fascinating to think that we have been on this planet, humans, Mm -hmm. for this blink of an eye compared to all the eons of changes that have happened before us and that we can still dig back Mm -hmm. and find records of these and build worlds and models about what came before us. I just love it. Well, I love all of that part. Like, I love archaeology and the idea of like learning about ancient cultures but to me it's it's the it's how it applies and so (laughs) since they are extinct and they're never coming back god willing um michael crichton willing um i I just it's not interesting to me i can't even i i tried i tried to muster the interest i i this is one more indicator that you were never a children's librarian that is accurate (laughs) that is accurate librarian um (laughs) some of us me were and um dinosaurs really they capture kids mm-hmm. imagination it's it's so if you think about like a dragon right mm-hmm. and we've we've had these in books before a dragon is a fantasy right like we assume that there have never been dragons here it's just this this prototype that we've created and it's in stories and myth and legend and things like that and that's interesting and it's fun but a dinosaur was here right like it was here right and so kids can connect with that and they can like i did um third or fourth grade and the school that I went to was a series of portables, really. Okay. And in third and fourth grade, it was a series of portables that were around, they were in like a ring shape. Mm-hmm. And in the middle was this dirt pit. <laughs> and it was a dirt pit on purpose because every year they set up an excavation there for kids. Oh, fun. So one class would create the things that went in there. Nice. And then another class would go and dig them up. So much fun. Yeah, I will yeah. do that again as an adult. <laughs> in fact, maybe next week. I, maybe. I'm ready. Okay. Well, if you're if you're inviting me, then yes. Sure. Yes. Oh, the dinosaur. I'm uh, – okay. I, I mean, if this were a lifetime thing, I'd do a little poll. Like, how many also pe- – how many people really don't care about dinosaurs? I, <laughs> oh, I, I'm an outlier. There's no question. I maybe just, not. I can't muster any enthusiasm for it. Well, I want you to – I know that you don't have to, but I think you should watch the movie. I will. Yeah. I will. And, and let me know because yeah. – 
it's Spielberg um, right. is uh, an amazing cinematographer. Right. And I assume that you've watched some of his other movies. I have. And OK, so, gosh, everyone's going to hate me. I'm totally outing myself as the most boring person alive. OK, just stop. Let's not. I don't like special effects. Did you? Did, did Nothing you, bad happened to me. Did you watch Jaws? Yeah. Yeah. I was seven. So, okay. you know. Okay. okay. Um, Let's move on. I can't. Yeah. I need I need to do something that's not this. Well, can I tell you one thing that I really loved about the book? Yes. Okay. I, it might what? redeem me. But it's, <laughs> it's too practical. It's not going to redeem me. Let's be, let's be honest. I loved, this was a very minor discussion in the book, but yeah. it really resonated with me of um, Dr. Ellie Sattler. Sattler? Sattler. S-A-T-T-L-E-R. -R. Oh, okay. Um, I was close. So she has this discussion about how the interaction between plants and the environment. Yes. And how it's not just a background. Plants, plants are passive. not a background. Plants aren't passive. And I loved that because I don't I haven't read this and I shouldn't even out myself for not having read this, but <laughs> my husband Steve read a recent book about how trees communicate. Yeah. So like that whole idea is so fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. So that's what fascinates me. Not dinosaurs, but the fact that the living trees that we think are just passive and they're not doing anything. They're, they got it going on. And they, well, of course they're they talking do. and they're flowers open warning up each other. Every day mm -hmm. and angle themselves to catch the light of the sun Absolutely. and the water. Do, yeah. Oh, no. I'm. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yes. And I love that he tied that in. It was an, it was just a very ancillary, you know, part mm -hmm. of the book. But I was like, oh, tell me more about that. That is. Well, and she was the paleobotanist. So yes. that was her. That was her gig. I liked even though. So. Many of his books don't go like hardcore into character description mm -hmm. because it's very storyline driven plots, yeah. right? So some of the characters aren't as f fully developed as yeah. as we might get in some of the novels we read. And I appreciated that there was a balance of things in this book, that mm -hmm. there were um, adults that acted childish <laughs> and children. <laughs> yes, Children that acted like adults, yeah, and children that acted like children, yes. and adults that acted like adults. So even though you didn't get this kind of full deep dive into any individual person, they reacted, I think, like an actual group of people might have in mm -hmm. a situation like this. Some people, um, when the T Rex busts out after the um, the power goes out mm -hmm. and the electrical fences go off mm -hmm. and the T Rex busts through, um, one of the adults um, pees himself. Uh -huh. And, and then runs away. Runs away, leaving two kids in a car. Right. And the two other adults set off flares and try and distract the dinosaurs so the kids can get away. Right. One of the kids is trying to figure out what to do so that they can stay safe. And the other one is just screaming. Yeah. Because there's a T-Rex in front of your face. Right. Super realistic. Yep. Um, and I think that's why Creighton had, has been praised and panned mm. for writing books that are entertaining. Um, but some people don't always think that they're good literature. Hmm. And I don't know that I would agree with that. I think yeah. that if you can finish a book and you enjoyed it, that's okay. It doesn't have to have fancy words. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to always comport to what you think is, like, the best literature out there. It was a good book, and that's okay. So I'm interested in that because, you know, I'm I'm a grammar snob. Mm -hmm. And so my one of the tests for me is... If I'm listening to a book and I just hear error after error after error, I just get annoyed. Mm -hmm. Like, I could write better than this yep. fool. This fool needed an editor. That was not the case here at all. Yeah. It's very well written. Now, it does read like a screenplay. Yep. Like, you, like even as the novel, I was like, of course this was going to be made into a movie. Yep. That was very obvious. Yep. And I will say that without having seen the movie when I, I did an IMDb search just to kind of mm -hmm. see who was who, 
Jeff Goldblum was a natural for oh, uh, Malcolm. He was that amazing. was the perfect person yes. to cast. And Laura Dern is lovely as, okay. as Ellie Statler. And the kids were good cast as well. The kids okay. are actually the flip of what they were in the book. So, so in, the girl is older. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and in so in the book, um, the um, Oh my gosh, I've forgotten his name. The the guy Max. who financed the whole oh, thing. Oh, um, um, his name is. It's not Harding. That was Hammond. the doctor, Mr. Hammond. Hammond. Uh, Mr. Hammond. So in the book, he's really uh, not good. No, no, he's terrible. He is in it for the money. Yep. He, his kids are lo- his grandkids are lost in the park at one point, and he's screaming at people to find them. But then he just tootles off and does something else. <laughs> and then he yells at them later when they scare him. Yes. <laughs> and he's just. Uh, he he's just not a good person. Right. And in the movie, he's very much softened. Hmm. So he's like this jolly Scottishman at some point because he has an accent for part of it and then he kind of drops it. <laughs> um, and he's he's not in it for the money. He wants the children of the world to see the magic mm. of dinosaurs. Right. And, uh, you know, you, you change some things as you're adapting something from a film, from a book to a film. But I think that the depiction of him in the book was better. Mm. That he... If you're going to spend all this money yeah. and all this energy on this theme park yeah. for dinosaurs, mm, you're going to want the payback. You're going to want the payback. Absolutely. Yes. And he says in the movie, I can charge $5,000 a day if I want because there's no competition. Well, yes. he doesn't really say no competition, but it's, yes. That's well, the, and he's trying to convince the lawyer for his investors right. that, like, this is, we did good. Right. Yes, we did good. Right. It doesn't matter that people are getting eaten. No, no, and really what he's worried about is the safety of the dinosaurs. Like, oh, yeah, don't hurt them. You Don't hurt them when you're getting them back into the um, electrical fence that malfunctioned. And mm-hmm. so the whole time I was thinking. Oh, we lost a couple of workers? That's fine. Mm, not worry about them. We can probably replace them. Probably. Like we did with miners. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's. You know, in coal mines, yeah. not. not Tiny people. Yeah, not young people. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my one criticism writing-wise yeah. is that I think it went on a little too long for me. Like, at oh, about okay. 75% of the book, I was done. Like, okay. the last whatever episode where mm-hmm. it all fell apart, I was like, oh, that's one too many for me. Okay. Okay. I'll buy that. For me, it was not enough. Sure. Um, <laughs> and that was because I know there's a second book coming. Right. So, and at one point, they um, bundled the books together. So, it was one very oh large book, like an 800-page compendium. <laughs> and I think I own that. I, I reread it on my tablet. But So, I was waiting for what's next. Um the one thing I want to make sure we touch on a little bit, you mentioned in the beginning, is kind of the ethics yes. of what they're doing. Yes. There. So there's the ethics of owning animals and mm-hmm. creatures like a zoo, sure. right? And at least with zoos, the goal is preservation. Right. You're, you're trying to ensure that this species has an opportunity to live on. With this, as an entertainment space, mm, yeah. uh, that's not that's not their goal. Their goal is to make money. Yep. And I, you could see little snippets throughout the book with the professionals, with the paleontologists and the paleobiologists, that they were like, what do you mean this is version 4.2 and you just right. got rid of all the other versions in advance because they had errors that right. you needed to fix in the genetic coding? And then there's the kind of ethics of, is it right to clone stuff? Right. And I don't know that we want to get that far into that piece, but the first one at least. Uh, well, I, that – really made me very itchy. Like, that was, mm-hmm. I think, a very compelling part of the book. Um, and probably one of the reasons that um, I knew enough about Congo to know that I would not 
make it through that book, that it would yeah. be very upsetting to me. It because is. Because one of the things, even about dinosaurs, which I have already admitted <laughs> at length, that I have absolutely no interest in, one of the issues to me is you bring back a sentient being yeah. that can feel pain. Yeah. And this is not its optimal environment, yeah. right? It doesn't have enough oxygen or the has too much oxygen. sitting there wheezing. Oxygen. Not yeah. enough oxygen. So, oh, no, too much. You're right. It was the more carbon, carbon dioxide. One or the other, yeah. right? And so you're bringing something back into an environment that it's no longer suited to. Yeah. And it's only going to have a life of pain. And is that ethical? And to me, it's not. And yeah. so it just it gives me the heebie-jeebies that, that – and he makes a very strong argument for just because we can do something doesn't mean we should do something. Yes. And and once Pandora's box is opened and mm-hmm. you got all these smart people building on the brilliance of – other people, but they don't have the ethics. Mm-hmm. That's freaky and upsetting. So yep. good for him for bringing that into the kind of modern. Oh, yeah. Well, and the mathematician in the movie, I, I can't actually remember if this is in the book. I think it just might be in the movie, has this spiel he goes on. And at the end, he says, life finds a way. Mm-hmm. Like, if you if you start this, you're not ending it. Right. It will right. move on. So at the end of the book, you find out that there's migration happening and that yep. sets up the second book. So anyway, I know you don't love dinosaurs, but I'm glad you enjoyed some aspects I of did, this book. I did. I did. And you have definitely piqued my curiosity. I, I think I will read some more of his work. Yeah, maybe um, not Congo. But maybe not Congo, but, yes. I, but some other stuff for sure. Well, tell me what you are forcing upon me next month. So this is super weird. <laughs> um, uh, okay. Way to start. Yep. Yeah. Um. Back in the day, there was a book called Creating Sanctuary by a woman named Sherry Mitchell. Okay. It's published in 1996. Okay. And it turns out that Sherry Mitchell lives in Centerville, Virginia. She's a local. And I will tell you during the podcast a a funny little story about the day she called me. (laughs) Um, And it's a fabulous book. It's The full title is Creating Sanctuary, A New Approach to Gardening in the Washington Metropolitan Area. Okay. And it is all about native gardening. And so it's... This this book, my mom bought a copy of and then bought more copies and gave them to my sister, my cousin, and me and said this should be required reading for high school students. It's all about planting things that want to be here and why they want to be here and about the harmony that you create in your backyard with nature and the um, native uh, fauna okay. so that we have the right butterflies and that we're feeding them at the right time. Anyway... It is out of print. Okay. So if you – here's the thing. <laughs> a lot listener. Of, a lot of disclaimers. Okay? Listener. Um, mom and Amy. Um, <laughs> if you want to read with us – Mom, I know you've already read the book. But um, I would say get any book that's about native gardening. Okay. Because I th- what I thought we could do is talk about – you're a gardener mm-hmm. and you're a master gardener, mm-hmm. and I know you agree with the approach of natives. And mm-hmm. so I thought maybe we could talk about some of our favorite natives and how they've done yeah, in our yeah. yard, and just the whole idea of why native gardening is different from sort sure. of Everything other else. conventional gardening. Yeah. So um, I would not want to say clone a dinosaur plant and stick it in my yard. Correct. No proteria. Okay. Okay. I think we can all agree on that. So anyway. If you can find a copy of Sherry Mitchell's book, Creating Sanctuary, I strongly recommend it um, because it's just fabulous. And she was eons ahead of her time in terms of the native gardening, um, yeah, whatever, movement. wave, yeah, movement. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but if you can't find that book, um, 
get anything that's about native gardening or anything that's about gardening in the D.C. metro area. So I can tell that next month is going to be us trying to use lots of verbal descriptors. Like, this plant is yellow with a tinge of butternut squash around the edge. (laughs) And maybe badly um, pronouncing Latin. (laughs) I'm not even going to go there. And I took two years of Latin. Lovely. No, 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 no. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us on You're Making Me Read What? Even if this book wasn't your cup of tea, there are millions more where that came from. And don't forget, you can always grab these books and lots more at your local library. So please do join us next month when we will be discussing Creating Sanctuary, a new approach to gardening in the Washington metropolitan area by Sherry Mitchell. Thank you so much and keep on reading.